Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in on our weekly radio broadcast. This radio broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers as ways for you to stay connected with the life of our community and to enrich your faith through the week. If you would have any interest in getting to know us a little bit better, I would highly encourage you to go to collegehills.org where you can find out a little bit more about our congregation, our ministries, and ways that you can get connected with us. You can find more about our on-campus gatherings as well as our online meeting times as well. Please know that we would always love to have you as a guest whenever and if ever you can make it to 1401 Leeville Pike in Lebanon, Tennessee. And if you can't, that is totally okay. We're glad you're listening today. As you may or may not know, we are moving through a summer series that we are calling A Summer of Sin, Seven Ways to Ruin and Redeem Your Life. And what we're doing in this series, obviously, is talking about sin, but I didn't want us to talk about it generically. I wanted us to have some kind of guardrails, so to speak, in how we talk about this important topic and this big theme that we see running through Scripture. There were a lot of different ways that we could approach this topic, and hopefully the last two weeks have given you some helpful introductory thoughts. But for the rest of this series, I want us to use the seven deadly sins as a template for us to move through this topic. If you're not familiar with the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And so each week we're going to be looking at one of these topics, one of these sins, not just talking about how it can ruin our life, but also I want there to be a hopeful note and talk about how the opposite or the converse of this particular sin will point us in directions that are redemptive and can move us in more righteous paths as well. And so we're going to do both of those things as we talk about each one of these particular sins. Before we jump into our text for today and this first sin that we're going to reflect on, I wanted us to have a quick historical note about the seven deadly sins. These originated in their first form as a list around the 6th century. One list was written by a man who had taken a group of monks into the wilderness and they had formed a community and he had reflected on that experience and in the reflections, in his writings, he lists some of the most common sins that that community struggled with and this seven list appears there. There were some others in the list, but that's the first time that we get these seven grouped together like this in church history. And around the same time, another individual took this list that he had written and drew out these particular seven as particular, what he called, capital sins. And that word capital came from this Latin word that meant principle or acting in the manner of a head. So you might think the head of a river where the rest of the river flows from. And so by calling these seven capital sins, he was making a reflection on how they work within the life of faith. 
In other words, they have this generative quality in that there's something primary about these that will produce other sins. There's something about these seven postures or attitudes or dispositions of a person that will lead them to produce more sins in their life. And to me, that's why these seven are worth dwelling on and reflecting on, because all seven of them are these internal heart postures. They are these ways in which our hearts can be shaped in ways that are not good and not godly. And so as we talk about each one of these, what I hope results from this series is some inner reflection about where these particular sins might be present in us and for us to cut them off at the root, so to speak, so that they can't produce in us other different kinds of sins in our life. This is part of the deep wisdom that I think we find in the life and writing of the early church in those first few hundred years of its existence. And so I've always found this list to be helpful in thinking about what sin is and particular sins that we need to give attention to in our hearts so that our lives can be shaped in a better, more healthy, more righteous kind of way. And so, like I said, today we're going to be looking at the sin of pride, but also considering the alternative path that we might walk in order to move away from pride, to root pride out in our hearts. And so our passage for today is Proverbs 16, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 16, verses 16 through 19. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for a chance to reflect on what it means to be faithful. And as we reflect on ways in which we can be unfaithful, I pray that you would convict us and guide us and restore us into right paths that honor and glorify you. I pray you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and that we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In April of 2015, author David Brooks released a book called The Road to Character. And in the book, he challenges the reader to consider the life they're living and what kinds of things they're pursuing with their life. Because we're all pursuing something with our lives. And one of the ways that he talks about what we pursue in life is through a challenging contrast of what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are all of the things that are important to us in places like our places of work. Things like wealth and status and fame and influence. And these are those virtues that would go on a resume. They're very much externally focused. Eulogy virtues, in contrast, are all of those things that are said about us at our funeral, hopefully, (laughs) 
Things like our kindness, honesty, courage, faithfulness. These are the kinds of things that we pursue that are more internally focused. Things that are at the core of who we are. They're about our inner essence or internal maturity. Brooks goes on to say in the rest of his book that to talk about this path of virtue, of these inner virtues, these eulogy kind of virtues, is where a fulfilling life is ultimately lived when we pursue these kinds of things. And he lays out in his book how we might grow into more of these eulogy virtues. And I appreciate the book because it forces us to consider those internal parts of our lives, those inner kinds of virtues that we are or maybe are not pursuing. And his words ultimately call us to be people of character, maturity, and inner formation. And while some may read this book and think that what Brooks is doing is innovative and new, the purpose of his work is actually a very old and ancient thing. Because what he's trying to do with this book and with this contrast is very similar to what the book of Proverbs is doing. The book of Proverbs is trying to help us live differently by calling us to look internally. In order to live differently on the outside, we have to do work on the inside. And this book of Proverbs is trying to force us to wrestle with our inner lives so that our outer lives look different. One of my favorite quotes to define wisdom, which is what this book is, is wisdom is the skilled living of truth in everyday reality. This is what the book of Proverbs is. It's a book of wisdom. It is trying to teach us how to live well and wisely in the world. And the hope and goal of this book is that we would attend to and tend to our inner lives so that our outer lives might look differently. How we live and we do our jobs, how we treat others, how we interact with spouses, how we treat the worker at the grocery store. All of this is an expression of those inner realities. And the book of Proverbs is trying to help us develop them. That's why the book of Proverbs should be lingered in and chewed on because these truths don't come quickly. We have to stick with them a while. It takes a while to grow in the way of wisdom, to grow in the way of what Brooks calls eulogy virtues. Proverbs wants us to cultivate something deeper and more meaningful at the core of who we are. And as we read through this book, we're challenged to consider just what kind of person we're becoming in the world. Who am I becoming? What's going on at the inner core of my life? Or, to use an image from our passage this morning, how are we going to journey through this pathway of life? Let's hear our passage one more time to notice this powerful image of pathway. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their way preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit among the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. 
A key image holding our passage together today is that of a pathway, a road, a highway. And this image is common throughout Scripture as a way to describe our lives, that our life is a path or journey that we take. And so one way to think about ourselves is as travelers on this journey of life. Life is a road that goes before us that we travel. But the Proverbs push us to consider how we're going to live our lives. How are we going to walk this path of life? What's going to be the manner of our walk in the world? And with this key image, our passage invites two different ways of walking, two different ways of navigating the world. We can either have a haughty spirit or a humble, lowly spirit. One choice set before us in our passage is that of a haughty spirit or a prideful spirit. I say that because the word haughty is not one we use often, but it comes from a really important old word that basically means high. So, the image here is of a person who walks through life with their head held high above others, and even God. They are, to use a modern phrase, on their high horse as they walk through life. Or, to use another modern phrase, they walk around with their nose in the air. It's the path of pride. It's the path of arrogance, of being puffed up, of thinking of yourself better than others. And what's brilliant about this passage, and the whole book of Proverbs really, is that this way of journeying through life is about an internal reality. And that's why the phrase haughty spirit is used. Because the spirit of a person is about the core of a person. The spirit of a person is about their inner essence. Because you know, like I know, you can put on a good, humble show all day long, and yet still at the end of the day, at your inner core, you can think that you're better than other people. You can easily be tempted to become like that Pharisee that Jesus tells us about in Luke 18, who went up to the temple to pray. And from the outside, the Pharisee looked holy and righteous and religious. I mean, he was praying in the temple. But on the inside, the core of his prayer life was gratitude that he was not like those people. He put on a good show, but at his core, there was a haughty spirit, a prideful spirit. And if right now you're thinking of that person who you think perfectly embodies this haughty, arrogant, prideful spirit towards other people, and if you are thinking of someone else and not yourself, then you know what it's like to be haughty, arrogant, or prideful. Because it's so easy for us to get caught into walking this way in the world. And the passage promises us the wisdom of this proverb is that if we choose to live our lives with this spirit of thinking of ourselves better than others, then we will eventually fall. This way of living will catch up with us. Pride will lead us to fall on the journey of life. But there is another way that is offered to us in this passage. There's another way for us to walk through this journey of life. We can choose to walk through this world with a humble spirit. Walk the way of humility. Now, for many of us, we likely think of humility along the lines of that famous Ted Turner quote, if I only had humility, then I'd be perfect. Now, that is one way of thinking about humility, 
as if it were just another item on our grocery list where we go to the store of virtues and we find the humility section and we throw in a few cans of humility in our bag and off we go. We have it and when we need it, we just pull it out and use it from time to time. We can think of it as kind of an item we possess and purchase. But if we take seriously that image of pathway, then our passage causes us to think about humility differently. Humility should be less of a thought, of an item we grab, and more as something that we grow. Humility should be less thought of as something we consume and more as something we cultivate. And the reason I'm pushing us towards more organic, earthy words when thinking about humility is because of the very word itself. Because if you trace the word humble far enough back to its origins, then you'll find it's connected to the old Latin word humus. Not to be confused with the more tasty word hummus. Humus is an old Latin word that means earth, ground, soil. So even for those translations that have the word lowly, we should not hear that in a way that some people try to take it, where they end up with some low view of themselves, and they end up being unnecessarily critical or mean to oneself. That's not humility. That's just being mean to yourself. Lowly should be heard more as in close to the ground or connected to the ground. So to be a humble person is to be a humus person. To be a humble person is to be a grounded person. To be a humble person is to be aware of your connection with earth and soil and ground. One of my spring rituals that I recently participated in was the annual buying of spring plants. Me and my wife and my daughter will journey to our local garden store and we will pick out different kinds of plants that we want to plant in pots that we put outside of the house on the steps and inside of the house. And every year we'll each pick out some plants that we want and we'll go and find those plants, put them in the cart. But then we'll also get some soil, some potting soil, so that they can have a healthier start and hopefully we'll live a little longer. And then we'll come home and the ritual kind of looks the same every year. We'll create a cleared off path with all of our pots and we'll get out the potting soil and we'll begin to empty the plants out of their little plastic containers and we'll put our hands in the soil and we'll dump that in these ceramic pots that we own and we'll place the plants in just certain ways so that we can put them in places where they'll look prominent and that they'll be attractive to the eye and without fail every spring that we go through this ritual I have this moment, this moment where I'm literally playing in the dirt and I can feel dirt coating my hands and wrists and arms all the way up to my elbows. And I'll be there on my knees in the hot spring 
sun. And I'll look down and I'll see myself covered in dirt. I'll be there sweating and ready for the project to be over. And then I'll look down. I'll see this dirt on my hands. And I'll remember something true about myself and about all of us. That we all have this unique connection with the ground. There will always be this moment where my hands are on the ground and I can't quite tell because of all the dirt on my arms where the earth ends and where I begin. And it's always a good humbling moment, not just because I realize that I'm not that great at potting plants, but it's also humbling because it's one of those humus moments. It's a moment when I'm reminded that from the humus God created humans. It's a moment where I'm reconnected to that truth about all of us, that from the dust and dirt of the ground, we were all formed and shaped, and we had the breath of God breathed into us to make us living creatures. It's a beautiful moment every year where I remember that we are all on common ground because we all come from common ground. And it's a reconnection that I need regularly because it's easy for me to forget. It's easy for me to get on my high horse. It's easy for me to get puffed up sometimes. And so gardening moments like those are definitely grounding moments where I remember those basic truths that are true about me and true about everyone. The humble person is the person who at their core recognizes this truth. That you and me and all of humanity are created and sustained by God. That a humble person is the person who at the core of who they are, the core of their spirit is grounded in God. And the more that we sink into this truth about ourselves, then it will shape how we live in the world. We will walk this path of life, this journey of life, in a certain more humble kind of way. I was recently visiting with a member from my church who I would describe as a humble individual. I was getting to know them, and when I was meeting with them recently, they weren't a person that I knew much about, and so we were sharing some different backgrounds of our respective stories as we were getting to know each other. They were sharing some good things, and they were sharing some challenging things. They were telling me about some of the mountaintop experiences they've had, but also some of the valleys. And the way that they talked about those valley experiences indicated to me that, number one, they were no longer in that particular valley, Number two, that they had learned something from being in those valley moments. And as we began to talk, I asked them about how they did it. How did they turn things around? What they did to get out of the valley that they had described earlier? And without skipping a beat, they immediately responded, God. God turned things around. God moved in my life. I'm here 
because of God. And there was a piece of me that wanted to follow up with, yeah, but you had to do something, right? You did something, but instead, I just sat in the quiet and I absorbed their answer. Because it was one of those moments when you realize that a person says something that has so much depth and meaning and truth that you just need to respect the sacred territory that you're in. That moment was a moment for me where I realized I was talking to a grounded person. I was talking to a person planted in the reality of God, a person who knew at their very core they are upheld by God. They're not putting on a show. They were showing me their truest self. They are a person moving through life who's not self-reliant, but God-reliant. They realize the truth every Christian should realize. There's no such thing as a self-made person, but there's only God-made people. We do not create ourselves. God creates and sustains us. And they were showing me that there is another way to journey through this life. One of the things this person said to me in our conversation was that every morning to start their day, they spend time in prayer because it reminds them that they cannot do anything without God. What an important reminder of what prayer does. Prayer grounds us in the reality of God. And that does something to our deep inner core. It reminds us that we don't need to walk through life with a haughty spirit on our high horse, being puffed up. But prayer draws us back to our truest self and truest center in the person of God. We're talking about pride in this lesson, and I think we can all admit the ways in which that this sin steers us in such unhealthy directions. And I think a contrast, I think a way to curb against these prideful tendencies is through a life of prayer. Prayer that keeps bringing us back to our Father in heaven. And so in that spirit, I want to close with a prayer. A prayer for humility that has been meaningful to me. And maybe, hopefully, it will be meaningful to you as well. These are the words of Mark Roberts as he prays reflecting on Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Lord Jesus, you humbled yourself more fully than any human being, giving up your divine privileges by becoming human, and then giving up your very life by dying on a cross, the most humiliating of deaths. Yet, because you humbled yourself, God highly exalted you, giving you the very name of Lord and calling every knee to bow before you. Humility was your way to glory. You know, dear Lord, how I struggle to be humble. Sometimes I can think way too much of myself. I can claim my accomplishments as my own, rather than as gifts from your hand. Forgive me, Lord, for my lack of humility Help me to focus so consistently on your greatness 
that I can't help but be humble. Remind me of the example of Christ. May humility be not merely a mask I wear, but a genuine aspect of my character. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, because you humbled yourself for our sake. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, for teaching me to be humble. Amen.